Welcome everyone to the Luke Cage podcast by Fantastic Geek, your official, unofficial voice of the Marvel Cinematic Community. My name is Matt and joining me as always is Pete. Hello, Pete! You gonna run, Miracle Whip? The Luke Cage podcast by Fantastic Geek for episode 111, Now You're Mine. Brought to you by Damon Boone's Age Scotch. It hits you right in the gut. Pete, so glad that uh, though we are ensconced in the Marvel Cinematic Universe, in the middle of Luke Cage here, in the middle of Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. Weekly, looking ahead to Doctor Strange next weekend, glad that we were able to visit that other universe, the Star Trek universe, for a brief discovery, a Star Trek podcast by Fantastic Geek update, as well as it mirrored on the pop culture podcast by Fantastic Geek feed so that we could calm the fans it's going to be okay, Star Trek fans. There was some behind-the-scenes stuff that we discuss in the podcast. It's going to be okay, and looking forward to podcasting that show this early summer. Yeah, certainly some news coming out this week with the announcement that uh, showrunner Brian Fuller is stepping away to concentrate on two other shows. So we talk people off the ledge. I talk Matt off of his roof. Uh, it's all very much worth listening to. The Lowdown, where we review what's going on in the episode. Patrons stream out of Harlan's paradise here. Matt, guns blazing. Luke and Misty still behind that bar. By the way, it is a great exterior that they have for Harlem's Paradise. It's not used enough. At least that's what the beginning of my notes say. By the end, <laughs> we spent a lot of time out there. It still is just wonderful attention to detail. The 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 circular kind of, uh, I don't know, roof portion there. The HP to the open marquee. the door. The marquee. That's, that's, the, that's the fancy word, Pete. Uh, anyhow, as you mentioned, Pete, Zip and other thugs like Sugar are still firing at Luke and Misty. Bullets bouncing off his back. Pete, Councilman Boone is there, too. Have that quick little shot. I think we're going to do more of him in this episode. Mm. And Misty tells Luke to just bust through the door. He'd like to, but he can't cover every angle, and she is the target. Yeah, Shades, meanwhile, is just walking up to the building as this is going on. Uh, not having been at the protest, Claire is a little further away, but she's uh, in danger nonetheless as uh, they start to really close in on Luke. Presumably for new viewers, Zip reiterates the cage is bulletproof and Diamondback reiterates that Misty isn't, so shoot her first. If you want to have a little catch-me-ups at the beginning of an episode, that's A-okay. I'm just pointing out. Either, you, either you're deeply ensconced in the basic mythology of the show by episode 111 or you're not. Regardless, Luke makes his way into the kitchen. Irony, Pete, the kitchen in which he used to work. And uh, he takes a giant freezer and some other items to block the door. Uh, all of these bad guys managed to not hit uh, Misty Knight's legs, which uh, protrude rather obviously as a target. Shades says, however, that they have a bigger problem. The cops are on their way soon. However, Diamondback isn't worried. And then, Pete, we get we get a line where I was like, wait, did I just hear that? Shades says, what you talking about, Willis? Yeah, uh, you had to expect somebody had the impulse to write it at one point or another. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, Diamondback 
Willis Stryker is not amused. You know, Pete, it's just a reminder that they got different strokes. It takes different strokes. It takes different strokes to move the world. And that's what our that's what our characters are trying to do in this episode. Move it for the good or move it for the bad. And uh, of course the the stragglers, the the hostages are lined up. Uh, he says that he doesn't want them looking at Stryker, except for Councilman Diet Obama. Take him upstairs. Uh, Councilman Boone says, can he do this, Pete? And what does Stryker say? Yes, he can. Definitely some some <laughs> surprising references to culture, both both high and low here. Second uh, time we've referenced Obama, which, you know, depending on how you want to view the Marvel Cinematic Universe... He may have been a uh, one-term president before uh, President uh, Matthew Ellis. So, Pete, let's go down this this rabbit hole here for a second. We probably shouldn't spend tons and tons of time focusing on the intersection of real-world politics to to uh, MCU politics, but the first appearance that we saw of Matthew Ellis was Iron Man three that came out in 2013. The, the basic thought being that uh, that we are mirroring our real world in terms of chronology. Ellis also says, you elected me on a single platform. I will protect this country at all costs. And he was referencing uh, a strong security focus after the catastrophic Battle of New York. So, Pete, if Obama exists, the timeline works that Ellis was a was a new president elected in 2012. Yeah, Obama was apparently in this universe a one-term uh, president, and uh, that means that currently, Matt, unless the laws have changed in the wake of the Sokovia Accords, which where you're not quite clear on, uh, that Matthew Ellis is running for re-election right now. Wow. Well, Pete, I guess as we get closer to election day, we'll have to either offer our our. Uh our approval or disapproval of president Ellis, but well, uh, could Obama let, let's assume for a moment that just based on the, the writer wingish uh, platform that he was elected, that Ellis is, is a Republican, right? Mm -hmm. Could Obama be challenging him trying to retake the white house now? Could they pivot on that? Certainly legally four more years. Some people's, greatest hope at <laughs> some people's worst fear four more years of obama in a fictional universe um i mean legally that is possible the the term limit is is two terms uh actually 10 years but we'll let the constitution people nod their head in approval there uh two terms they don't need to be consecutive so um pete i guess we will know in whatever references are made to a president in the MCU at any point from January forward, which I believe next would be, well, I mean, there's, there's agents of shield, right. And there's, and there's the, the other Marvel TV stuff, uh, movie wise guardians is in may. Is that right? Yeah. I don't think they're going to be referencing. I mean, the theory that Obama is a space alien born on the planet Vulcan that could conceivably come up, uh, you know, with the birth certificate, but I doubt it will. <laughs> wow. Um, so with that little, with that little fun tangent, uh, having gone down and back up again, Diamondback chides Shades for using his first name. However, there's an even better angle. If they can kill Cage and kill Misty, 
then they can pin Misty's death on Cage and take credit for killing Cage, thereby saving Harlem, thereby setting up the thrust of the episode. Yeah, Luke Cage going all King Kong with a lady and jumping off the balcony here, uh, despite the fact that 100 people saw Diamondback uh, take a shot at a cop. Pete, it's almost like Diamondback, this this New York entrepreneur with the interesting haircut is trying to bend his own perception of reality uh, around everything else to make reality conform to his his weird views. <laughs> With that, the story goes to the title card. Meanwhile, in the kitchen, Matt, Misty is bleeding profusely. She feels cold. Uh, Luke thinks that an artery has been nicked. And uh, he figures the whole place is surrounded by Diamondback's men, blocking all the ways out. But the former dishwasher knows about the secret basement. After all, Lucky Luciano used to run booze here. It's it, it's a prohibition building. And uh, we get a quick shot of Diamondback. And then Luke is back talking to Misty with uh, some catch-up about being Carl and Luke. Willis being Diamondback. Uh, and uh, the, the, the son of the, the preacher and his half-brother. So I'm glad, Pete, that this show gets all of its it's a small world stuff out of the way in one kind of big medicine-y gulp. Speaking of small world, Matt, this is the epitome of a bottle episode. Uh, takes place entirely in and around Harlem's paradise. It's inevitable at some point, even in uh, the scope of a larger production like this. But... Uh, to, to have the club in general, to have the kitchen, to have just outside there, and then the police uh, trailer that gets gets brought. Very few locations for a show that normally whips around a lot more. I think that oftentimes the phrase bottle episode, people who know TV consider it to be a pejorative. Correct. And I think that from a production point of view, maybe you go, oh boy, this is the episode where we got to finally pay the piper. We overspent on episodes three, five, and eight. And we're saving up for episodes 12 and 13. Got to gotta make something cheap here. Not going to be going out to different locations and going out to Long Island and the beach and making sure that it pretends to be uh, North Carolina. That said, Pete, I feel like oftentimes, maybe even most of the time, when I, as a viewer, can identify an episode as I'm watching it as a bottle episode, usually th those episodes are pretty good because the writing needs to step up because you're not doing an awesome crane shot in Times Square on July 4th weekend when it's ab almost abandoned, so it looks like no one is there. Like, you're just, all right, we got these couple of sets and we're shooting on the street for a couple nights. This has to, the, the acting has to work. The, the writing has to work. And I think you'd be hard pressed too to find bottle episodes where uh, giant explosions that rock the entire building they are in happen. Speaking of giant explosions, Diamond Back himself blows down a door with Pete, what I like to call a padink donk gun. Pete, do you know why it's called a padink donk gun? That's the sound it makes. That's the sound it makes, particularly in Terminator 2, which my brother and I were just delighted about how when when there was a similar gun and you know you'd put the put the bullet explosion thingy in there and go dunk. So there you go. Pete, do you think that 
do you think that at this point we can maybe get some i don't know some like expositional news reporting to exposition about the situation and Matt, it's funny that you said that because up pops Tembi Exposition outside with her exposition news live at whatever time you watch exposition news on whatever channel you watch it, uh, microphone to explain to the viewer what is happening. Also watching that is Priscilla because as we know, people only watch the important parts of expositional news reports that apply to them as it's going on including the police matt uh well absolutely and speaking of the police nypd esu shows up pete esu of course stands for emergency service unit that's uh what other places might call swat but you know new york um and uh they are ready to go in but priscilla reminds everyone that she is in charge one of their own is in there and no one is going to go in without her say so and they need to get a hold of Misty Knight. There's a lot of fear running rampant, Matt, with that dash cam footage. The Chiron on the TV screen screaming out that this is a super powered individual who's taken hostages as Luke Cage seems to be the, uh, the fall guy for everything that Diamondback is doing. In the blown-up kitchen, Shades looks around, and I thought, Pete, that he had quickly eyed the rubber mat that covers the secret floor door. I did, too, almost too conveniently, and I'm glad that they had him look at it. And then, oh, I haven't really gotten to know the kitchen yet and all of the nooks and crannies that a guy who worked here much longer did. Thank you. Uh, Non-convenient story writing. Uh, in fact, Pete, I had wondered if maybe Shades was holding back a bit. Prior to this episode, we saw tension between him and, and Diamondback and whether this kind of current thrust was, was appropriate. Certainly, we have more by the end of the episode. But I digress. Diamondback comes in saying to scour everything. And uh, Shades repeats at this point that they're being too loud with all this, especially with the cops outside. Diamondback thinks Shades is shaken and repeats that the the situation as perceived anti-violence meetup turns violent when luke cage appears poetry is in their corner pete he's spitting off the dome (sighs) don't we all uh in the nypd mobile command center they get a a -a ring-a-ding-ding it's damon boone we see with a gun to his head telling them that luke cage has them hostage uh, Diamondback hangs up the phone because, of course, it's Diamondback on the other end of the gun, reiterating that uh, though NYPD won't negotiate with someone like them, it's all part of the plan. Yeah, died Obama here for some hope. <laughs> In the basement, Luke uses a clean enough strip of cloth to tie a tourniquet, um, and Misty is able to call Inspector Ridley, kind of get through, but it's all static. I guess they don't know, Pete, that you need a lot less of a clear connection to send a text message. And had she just sent a text message and said, I'm okay in the basement, Luke Cage innocent, uh, Luke Cage not the perp, that the episode would have basically gone to the 40-minute mark at this point. Right. Then you you can't have your, uh, your show, Matt. You can't have your drama. So a, a broken cell phone that uh, can't properly be heard. I would have liked it, though. Like, listen, 
I don't know how many people out there happen to to know as a fact that it's it's easier to send a text message, like easier in terms of bad connection and all of that, than it is than it is make a phone call. I happen to have that factoid in my head because I read some news report a number of years ago where somebody had they were hiking, they fell, and you know couldn't get the call out, but could get the text out, that kind of thing. That said, I think a lot of people kind of intrinsically know, like, oh, I, I couldn't get through, so I sent a text. I would have liked it if the show, like, how about this? Have the phone not work or have the phone, you know, she's about to make the phone call. She gets through, hello, hello, and then the phone dies and have, you know, sound effect or something that, I don't know. Pete, am I reading too deep here? Does the MCU have a have a data transmission problem <laughs> that, that that real New York City doesn't have? Actually, Misty has limited data, and that's why she had to make a voice call. Uh, she's got bigger problems, though, Matt. She doesn't want to die on the floor like Scarf. Great, great line there. I mean, though it's though it's you know a, a written callback to the, the arc that her partner took. Um, I mean, I buy it. This notion, this notion that. You know, she's unwell, she's losing blood, it's honest and raw as she's, she knows that she's facing death every, every blood drop that comes out. Thank goodness, Pete, the cage won't leave her. Not on his watch. Upstairs, Diamondback has, you know, fixed some drinkies for Councilman Boone, and though Boone isn't a drinker, he's uh, encouraged to drink the drink. Uh, Diamondback talks of the prowess of the Scotsman, Pete, they were feared. Yeah, they decapitate you. <laughs> Something about a drink that inspires uh, decisiveness. Diamondback asks if Damon reads the Bible. Turns out Diamondback reads it every day. The family Bible that came from, from his father to his mother to him is taken out. He bids Boone read from it. And Pete, the pages are they're highlighted. They're scribbled a thousand times over. Pete, I don't mean to be disrespectful to 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 people of faith and i think we can agree diamondback's faith is 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 uh skewed at best but yeah <laughs> i personally read the way that bible had been gone over gone over gone over gone over uh, as the excess ramblings of a crazy man uh clearly some form of fundamentalism at work here matt you know between his penchant for uh quoting it and uh, his anger issues. On the Harlem's Paradise floor, Candace is hurt bad. Pete, do you remember Candace? I do. That okay. would be Candy Candace Mitchell, Matt. Last seen as uh, having told uh, the police that Luke Cage had killed Cottonmouth. Well, now her ankle is hurt. Claire jumps in to help and... Uh, Though she's told by uh, Sugar to, uh, how should I put this, Pete, to sit her fine rear end down <laughs> all while he strokes his chin with his gun, which, Pete, that's a that's an awesome move I'd love to try sometime. I just, just got to get me a gun first. Uh, Claire is given the okay to help Candace, and Pete, I think there's writerly things afoot on her foot, with her foot. Yes, there's writerly things with uh, Sugar's dialogue as well. Oh? He calls her the night nurse. Oh, yeah. He said the thing. He says the thing, Pete. Um, just before that, Zip updates Sugar with the 411 on the situation, which 
gives Candace just enough time to have a little breakdown emotionally with Claire. It's all been a huge mistake. Claire tells Sugar that, that Candace is having this, this spell from the pain, uh, and that gives space for Candace to, uh, to, to spill the beans about the false testimony and catch up Claire about the secret basement, you know, the one by the staff lockers. It's kind of exposition-y, but then Candace fakes diabetic shock, and Claire's going to go get stuff from the staff lockers. Pete, we're moving the chess pieces around the, the board that is the one, two, three, four stories of Harlem's Paradise conspicuous by her absence is the second mention here of uh, Mariah Diller having uh, been spirited away when the, when the shots were fired and now being responsible for um, Luke being uh, implicated in the, in the death of her cousin and uh, also with the bullets there. So though she's not in the episode, Alfre Waters character, uh, Lumen large. I have a theory, Pete, because this is not the first time that we've had, um, a Netflix Marvel show, uh, where kind of some of the more prominent characters, um, uh, are not in an episode. Certainly you can see that in all sorts of television, Half-hour comedy, network drama, cable drama, etc. Here's my theory. Netflix pays differently than, let's say, broadcast. I'm not quite sure where cable is on the mix. But with with broadcast, you get that back end of when reruns happen. You know, part of the push for Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. to get to these 88 episodes so it can be packaged for syndication and, and etc. Netflix does not pay a back end. They don't pay for reruns. So they pay you more up front. Which, if you're an actor and you get paid a whole bunch up front, great. If you're Jerry Seinfeld, you're sure glad that you're still getting paid from those TNT reruns of Seinfeld, even though the show has been off the air all these years. Point being, Pete, I suspect that they don't pay these name people who are going to be significantly more expensive, like Alfre Woodard. I don't think that they are paid a season one pay, and there's 13 episodes. I think that they're paid per episode. And when it comes along writing-wise, um, hey, you want to figure out a way to save some money, let's write an episode where maybe this one doesn't appear, that one doesn't appear. That's another way, I think, perhaps, that, that Netflix saves money. Certainly have rewritten the way that those deals are negotiated. So back to Claire, going with Lopes down to the staff lockers, halfway down it. Claire gives him one elbow. He tumble, 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 tumbles down the <laughs> stairs. She picks up his gun and promptly throws it away. Pete, I'm I'm not a gun owner, but you put me in a situation where I'm one-on-one -on -one with a bad guy and I get a hand on his machine gun. Uh, I'm going to keep the machine gun because I, I think I know how to work it and I'd rather I'd rather be on the one end and not the other. Got to keep it to, to spray and pray, Pete. You might want it uh, at least defensively, if not just for the threat that it represents. Misty, having uh, been hydrated here with Luke, uh, is explained the story of uh, Diamondback, of Willis Stryker, the half-brother here, framed him, sent him to Seagate, and trying to pin the whole hostage drama we're going through right now uh, on him, in addition to having been set up for Cottonmouth's murder. Up on the street, a car arrives. Pete, Pete, that's District Attorney Blake Tower from Daredevil Season 2. It really is all connected. <laughs> it is. And uh, 
having taken over uh, during the uh, the Punisher affair, which also looms in this episode. Heaven forbid a, a maniac like Frank Castle, Matt, get his hands on on these types mm. of uh, super alien Judas bullets. Mm. The story moves inside that uh, mobile command center. The ESU head says they need to go in now. Uh, Inspector Ridley agrees, but they need all the facts. Uh, and then uh, Blake Tower from the DA's office comes in. He's he's properly introduced here. He's been sent by the mayor's office to coordinate. Pete, there are so many African-Americans in power and authority in this scene. It is real. It is working story-wise. Ridley reminds them that uh, uh, with barging in, even after they've heard the explosion, that could be futile. Cage has never, ever used a gun and could take out the whole ESU team. Uh, the ESU had to ask uh, Mr. ADA if he has uh, any ideas. Well, turns out somebody else has already had that idea. The mayor's in a closed-door session right now talking enhanced weapons being given to the NYPD. Pete, talking with who? Mariah Diller. <gasps> Wait a minute. That's where she went, Pete. Yes, it is. They don't need to show it. They could just tell it. They could just tell it. Um, I I think the way that it comes back around in terms of the interaction of these characters in the mobile command unit is one of okay, you know, we have these people talking downtown. We we know that Blake has played ball before. We're getting increasingly the feeling that uh, Priscilla Ridley is is going to play ball for the for the good side here um, with everything that's going on. You know that the police chief hasn't shown up, that the mayor hasn't shown up, that they're going to let this kind of linger on her when Luke Cage in the basement there feels like going all Crispus addicts. Yeah. Uh, Misty is still bleeding, by the way, right uh, right in this scene as well. Um, something tells me old Crispus would, would definitely approve, though, of uh, Luke Cage going all Crispus addicts. He's cautioned by her not to do anything stupid, you know, like be a hero. He's not the hero type. She wonders if maybe he's always been a hero. Pete, with that, there's a tap, tap, tapping at the kind of chamber door. <laughs> Right around Halloween, <laughs> on Halloween as we're dropping this episode. Because, uh, of course, we're not doing it ahead. That would be ridiculous. Um, Pete, that tap, tap, tapping, that's Claire banging the heck out of the wall at like a loudy louderton, bang, bang, banging, with no thought that there's guys with guns upstairs. Uh, then Luke's... I'm down here. <laughs> Lopes hasn't come back yet because he took quite a bad tumble. Um and I threw his gun away. It's Morse code, Matt. That's what it is. Although the, the TV subtitle said faint tapping. This was the least faint tapping in the history of TV faint tapping. <laughs> Particularly on a wall that is bricked out on one side and pretty much like solid on the other. Regardless, through that wall, Luke's fist punches through. Uh, wasn't Claire told to leave? Well, Pete, she doesn't do well when told what to do. It's right around this time Misty passes out because we're keeping it moving. In that tried and true NYPD command center, district attorney Tower talks uh, more about the pressure from Mariah 
and the super weapon, but they're interrupted by a call from Boone, who's speaking for, quote-unquote, Luke Cage. Cage, Diamondback, wants a chopper on the roof, and it's going to let out half the hostages now. Uh, oh, and Detective Misty Knight is just fine. You want proof? Uh, the hostages are coming out now, quick. Yeah, I love the way, too, in the context of this discussion that uh, Boone is having with uh, the police command unit, how um, Diamondback gesticulates, you know, pointing in one direction, the, the, the gun in the other hand, the nods, everything like that. Uh, really, really effective without saying a word. On that command bus, Tower stresses that he doesn't want this super weapon out. Uh, when the police and military have weapons, it eventually and, and all too quickly ends up on the streets. There's too much power in this weapon. And uh, he says to uh, Priscilla Ridley, neither of them can trust Mariah Dillard. And also neither of them see a chief here. There's distance, there's deniability, and there's the possibility that this goes down like the gunfight at the OK Corral. Yeah, to reference history here. But we're starting to really put things together three quarters of the way to our defenders uh, uniting, Matt. And now with this alien bullet in play and uh, Luke Cage as the Hulk, if you will, of, of the street level Avengers, uh, it's going to be pretty interesting. We, we know what these bullets would obviously do to a uh, to a Daredevil or to a Jessica Jones. They can be hurt just like anybody else. But now Luke Cage is vulnerable and. Uh, yeah, we're we're seeing we're spinning a larger picture where not just the police, but soon enough, because let's pretend they're going to keep a lid on on this technology like uh, like Towers worried about that uh, the, the playing field will be leveled. In the basement, uh, Claire declares that Misty will be OK, albeit not fully helped by Luke tying that tourniquet uh, too close to the wound. Claire is going to focus on medical stuff, Luke, bulletproof stuff. Misty says, y'all sound married. Oh, Pete. <laughs> Pete, see, you have to understand, though, though, though we usually take gentle teasing towards shipping, you got to understand something. I buy that Luke Cage and Jessica Jones are going to get together at some point. And because it's in the comics? Because it's in the comics. And, and... Jessica Jones is my favorite of these Marvel Netflix characters. And the fact that she's, you know, self-destructive and all those negative things in there. Pete, I look at lovely Claire as as in the shipping competition, if you will. Pete, things are heading in the direction I don't know that I'm okay with as, as somebody who's JJ first. I think that uh, one of the major parts of the Defenders is going to be uh, where... Claire Temple's loyalties lie uh, with all these different characters. Oh, this better not be a lousy Beschel test failure set up for the Defenders where Claire, the the night nurse, and Jessica Jones, able uh, private eye, albeit a drunk, but, you know, and superpowered person where they have scenes going, I like him more. No, I like him more. No, let's let Beschel test just burn in the ground. Please, please be better than this. Although, side no, side news, Pete, 
I don't know if you saw that uh, S.J. Clarkson, the uh, renowned female uh, director who directed the first two episodes of Jessica Jones, is also going to be directing the first two episodes of Defenders. So hopefully Betchel test pass. Obliterated. Obliterated, indeed. Anyhow, Pete, Claire leaves to go get medical supplies because Claire medical stuff, Luke bulletproof stuff. So, of course, Claire is the one who should leave the safety of this hidden sub-basement to go get you know booze and uh, uh floss whereas luke stays there huh not sure how i feel about that no wait i do it should be luke going to get it but it's an opportunity up top for uh diamondback to put on a record uh, of course it's son of a preacher man oh i wonder how they made that choice and take out a picture of his mother to uh show a complete stranger (laughs) he explains the background between his mother and father the miracle baby born two years later how they grew up as best friends there was all this tension like a draft coming under the door and this was where i was saying but we heard some of this at the shootout at the theater three episodes ago two episodes ago something like that we heard other portions of this in the church uh, flashback slash realization uh, last episode. This is great character stuff here. Seeing Stryker in action, seeing Eric LeRae Harvey just empower this character is amazing, but none of this story is new story. This is just recap for Damon Boone, who, if I check my watch, has about 15 minutes left on the show. So, fine, Willis was a good boy, did well in school, but he could never be loved by his father. It's for the love of his father that he is propelled. That puts a nice button on it, but we already knew that, too. Yeah, it's the type of recap that's really running in place, given that we already know this, but another character needs to be brought up to speed. I agree that's how these scenes usually go. Does Boone need to know this? That's what I'm saying. Yeah. Um, it's a it's a questionable decision, if anything, than to see the turmoil within Stryker. At the command center, Inspector Ridley is told that some of the witness statements, and she's told, hush, hush, Pete, some of the witness statements uh, have it as shooters shooting at Luke Cage, not Luke Cage shooting at club people. She says this may be the case, but they aren't in control of the situation. Back inside Harlem's Paradise, there's a really nice sweeping shot from the ground floor all the way up to the balcony where Shades is saying that the first of the hostages are gone. That's some nice catch-me-up since I believe we already saw them leave. Uh, Stryker says that everything is going according to plan. Soon, either Harlem's menace, Luke Cage, will be dead or Stryker will be. Either way, Stryker isn't testifying. Will Shades testify, Pete? Of course not. Um, because if Shade spoke up, that would reveal that Diamondback has no plan. Interesting moment here about to happen, Pete, something that we will talk about in the theories segment, I'm sure. Shades is asked, have you forgotten who you're talking to? And then an interesting retort back to him, has Diamondback forgotten who he's talking to? Pete, is Shades connected past Diamondback? We'll certainly get the implication there. I'll have to, have to discuss that more. 
They get an update from Sugar, who says they kind of sort of lost someone who's trying to help that that West Indian looking chick. What's her name? What 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 is her name, Pete? <laughs> it's Candace. Candace. Sugar and Lopes are dismissed. I was expecting Lopes to just be shot on the spot. Um, Shades then spells out, boy, Pete, going over this episode for the podcast, I'm realizing how much of this episode is just them talking about things already going on in the episode, like Shades spelling out that the helper might be that chick with Luke Cage and Candace is the anchor to lying about Cottonmouth's death. Yeah, so suddenly it ups the ante in terms of she gets out and Shades is the one to uh, recap this, that she is somebody who could spell trouble to their problem. Back in the Harlem's Paradise office, Diamondback hits the PA, uh, telling Carl, 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 that Carl is always uh, avoiding the fight. Here's a new fight. Produce yourself or hostages start getting killed every 10 minutes, starting with, wait, Pete, Starting with Damon Boone. I didn't see that one coming at all. No, not at all. It's never the guy who is used in the negotiations ploy. Uh, I'm looking at you, Ellis, in Die Hard, uh, <laughs> with some kind of uh, agenda of his own who uh, is then somehow threatened. All of this is done while Stryker is loading those special bullets into his gun. Uh, Luke in the basement has heard all of this, of course. He decides to go up, despite the offer from Misty to stay put and let the cops handle it. She will let the cops know that he's innocent. Foreboding. Uh, it made me wonder, you know, is she not going to make it? Uh, spoiler alert, she does. Uh, Claire returns because Claire needed to be gone just long enough for whatever. <laughs> uh, Claire knows... Uh, that once this is all settled, she will have to lie low. Uh, this until she hears from Luke or Misty or Bobby Fish. With that, Luke leaves. And Claire uses some high-quality alcohol to sterilize the wound. Pete, because Misty likes exposition, she asks Claire to describe what is going on in terms of Claire's medical attention here. Dental floss is being used to tie off the hosing vein. And again, Pete, I want to mention this was a this was a perfectly fine episode to watch. It's in this podcast investigation, this podcast deep look here, that I'm realizing just how writerly the writing is. Cause otherwise you'd have, you know, Claire just doing things that look interesting medically, but you need to get to the point that the longer this floss is in there tying off the hosing vein, the bigger the chance of losing her arm. Now that's exposition. The urgency is needed beyond the the hostage situation. One trying to wait out the other ups the uh, the drama here for Luke and Claire to get her out to get her taken care of. Misty also asks if Claire has gone out for coffee with Luke because we can't have two professional women with their life hanging in the balance without talking about whether they've done the deed with Luke. They haven't had coffee. Both ladies know that Luke doesn't like coffee and that they're actually talking about the metaphorical sexy times. So there we go. Upstairs, Diamondback is told that the guns uh, being sold to the NYPD are a go. He's amazed at what Mariah can do. I'm amazed at what she can do off screen, Pete. This is incredible. Her presence is felt the entire episode, but the actress doesn't show up once. And that 
uh, Boone is around for this being a political rival of um, Mariah Dillard. It, it's a it's a twist of the knife before we get to this uh, this little story. Uh, indeed, Willis wraps up his phone call, hits the PA button. He continues his tale of young Willis and Carl stealing a Corvette. Carl, uh, the Lucas boy, he was given probation and a trip to the Marines. Willis got juvie, got jumped two days in with a shank, uh, killed his attacker, got a trip to hard time. His mother died from cancer, alone in the world, forgotten by the preacher man, Pete. Willis only had one resource. The Bible. And uh, Matt, perhaps I remind you about the story of Cain and Abel. Of course, uh, our listeners know that uh, Cain slew Abel, the children of uh, Adam and Eve, after their expulsion from the Garden of Eden. And uh, th- this this curse, the first murder, Matt, the, the symbolism, brother on brother violence and jealousy and indeed willis quoting from that story asking is he his brother's keeper he puts on his patented power glove and says yes i am my brother's keeper and this is intercut with uh, luke making his way up the stairs throwing baddies left and right willis then powers up the glove and tells damon to say hello to his mother wait a minute pete i thought that his mother was dead And then he gets punched and um, joking aside, an effective shot of Boone's body with that, that bloody wound caved in there. Um, It, it, it was a shocking moment to me. It was. And again, you know, you get the, the story, you, you get the emotion of it, everything that's going on there. We've had a man here read from the Bible, uh, you know, hand over, his Bible to, to see the study that he's done with this, having, uh, you know, obviously taken the wrong path in life um, and serving as the distraction, Matt, through which he's able to put on the, the power glove and uh, Jack Damon Boone up amidst a reference to Wesley Snipes' New Jack City. But I think it's important to point out here, Matt, we had talked in the previous episode where poor officer Albini was uh, was jacked up, was was punched and, uh, you know, then revealed to have died as a result of the wound here as he's preparing the glove uh, Diamondback. Uh, has these cables which then plug into the case. So this is officially why he was using the backpack when he was posing as uh, Luke Cage before. And uh, I think it's interesting that in a cinematic universe where we have another character in uh, Daisy Johnson who has become the criminal now known as Quake who needs, because of her inhuman powers, to wear special gauntlets so that she doesn't wreck her own arm. She's suffered fractures there before because of the vibration that when uh, striker hits Boone in the chest, that his uh, hand doesn't penetrate and go through the other side that he hits. And it's almost a reverberation 
um, so that, uh, you know, Boone hits the, the wall there and, and then he's got this massive collapsed wound on his chest. This might be overly geeking out here, but it certainly is plausible that whoever made the glove has has looked at this supposed villain of Quake and said, hey, what if we could do that, but it's not some Terrigen biogenetic thing? What if it's, uh, you know, how could we make a blast like that, uh, you know, on our own through through mechanical means? So maybe it is all connected, Pete. Maybe it is. And then, you know, Boone just able to uh you know be used as a prop here thrown out uh dropped out the front door of harlem's paradise to show we mean business shades is told to take the body of boone uh, to the door outside we see that that body is thrown into the street this propels uh propels priscilla to send the esu in which i would have thought like send them in would have been like and 60 seconds later they went in clearly the esu a bit more measured here we're not quite there yet uh the story moves to the kitchen where pete there's blood on shade's hands he's he's washing them on the sink you know that sink by that rubber mat he walks away from the sink he hears the floor creak hey that's weird that's a thing (laughs) what does he discover pete Shades finds that trap door under the uh, non-slip surface. And uh, he is all set to investigate Pete. Coincidence of coincidences, that's just about when Luke decides it'll be easier for him to uh, yank out the the power to the building, which he does. Uh, Upstairs, Willis grabs his gun. We see the emergency lights come on, which I thought was an interesting and realistic development because of course there's going to be emergency lights back to shades though he finds misty standing pete is this the end for detective misty knight no of course not i was worried he gets hit by claire and that wrench pete the wrench that she was banging from before it's Chekhov's wrench. excuse me excuse me from the script matt faintly tapping (laughs) bonk 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 um they fight a weakened Misty is in the background, but then she's kicking him too. Pete, finally the women overpower him. Go girl power. He's bloodied and cuffed to a pipe. Given that little bloody scratch on the back of his head, I think he's going to be okay. Pete, with this trap door wide open, neither of them seem particularly keen on closing it, so they aren't found again when people are like, yo, where did Shades go? He went to the kitchen to wash his hands. I don't see him in there. Let's investigate further with our guns. They just kind of sit there and laugh as friends. For a bad guy in this episode who seems completely cognizant of all the threats, uh, it's ironic that Shades is the one that's overcome here. Back on the street, ESU is locking and loading. Tower reiterates that they're there to get the hostages first. And Priscilla tells the ESU the cage might not be behind this. ESU will ask him when they see him. And uh, we see that there are specifically locking and loading special bullets. And then Pete, take us to the dance floor where Sugar has his gun in hand. Well, he ain't playing, Matt. No. No, he's not. However, Pete, uh, Luke Cage is behind him, slaps him in the head, lets out the remaining hostages. Uh, except, wait, Pete, I don't see Candace. Where's Candace? She's not there. She's with Diamondback. 
yeah, there they are on the ledge of the platform, or the edge rather, the platform itself, like a ledge. Now that some of the uh, some of the railing is gone, Luke wishes they could have handled this years ago. Stryker says he wishes Carl died in childbirth. Luke says he was sorry to hear about Stryker's mom. Uh, Stryker says Luke's mom is a naughty word. So are, are we clear, 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 Pete, on where uh, the emotions lie? They don't like one another. And here is this woman, not so innocent, being dangled off of this balcony. Uh, a superpowered individual uh, down there, but uh, the Judas bullet inside the chamber of Diamondback's gun. Um, ESU then yells through the door that they're about to come in. Pete, I would like to ask our listeners uh, who are members of law enforcement. I know Robert Frost is one. A, does a SWAT type team that is ready to do the storm the building, storm the building, which of course in and of itself is fraught with the risk of uh, all things going wrong. Uh, do they announce themselves before they go in? Do, do they have a formal calling card? Do they, is, is the calling card engraved? Do they really knock on the door? Um, second is in a little bit, which I'll get to, but I think maybe some, perhaps some dodgy police stuff here. Um, regardless, Pete, as mentioned, uh, Diamondback has the Judas 2.0 bullets. Then he drops Candace and gives what great line, Pete? Bye, Felicia. Great, great line that made me uh, chuckle while watching. Pete, I sure hope Luke catches her. Yeah, uh, and the fact that the cops have these bullets, Diamondback has one of these bullets that he squeezes off here and uh candace is sorry is all coming uh at once yeah esu comes in candace is okay uh luke is surrounded surrounded in a circle pete surely police don't point high-powered machine guns while standing in a circle right because then if they like missed a little bit wouldn't they hit one of the other policemen I don't know. That's a genuine question out there. It certainly is good TV to hammer home Luke Cage's surrounded. I just don't know that they stand five feet from a suspect in a circle. I get the sense, you know, so Candace can clear Luke here. I also get the sense that uh, if Diamondback had engineered this better, you know, kind of the way Shades was urging him to get the cops to do his dirty work for him rather than leaving luke alive if it is a weakness in the writing i can excuse it by saying diamondback has been told before your plan is not good your plan is not good and he's been operating on faith on instinct on impulse and if if now it has come to a head where that's now not working um candace <laughs> candace has been left alive and certainly has plenty of incentive to now testify against the Dillard Cottonmouth Diamondback operation. Uh, Luke has now been captured peacefully, which is in line with someone who has not been shooting up the place and is is going to be in line with what some of the hostages may say, etc. So I'm okay with Diamondback's plan falling apart because Diamondback has been told for a while now your plan might fall apart. And you have two women who were inside Harlem's Paradise who were now able to testify towards the innocence of Luke Cage. Regardless, upstairs, Diamondback is shown a way out by Zip. Darn it, Zip! 
Zippo is there to help. And uh, they make their way out on the side. There's even a ride available. And um, I don't know how crazy I am that they are able to slide out on the side alley and still see all the goings-on in what is probably meant to be a secure police scene, you know, with the police tape and, and up, uh, up and all that. That said, there is such chaos. And it is such a great shot that they kind of look over, look, there it is, get in the car and go. So I guess I, I mostly buy it, but don't completely buy it. There's no reason to believe this building would not be completely surrounded. Regardless, Misty is brought out. She tells Priscilla that Luke Cage is innocent of everything. Priscilla is sympathetic, but we have to investigate and verify. Misty says that what matters is the truth. Um, side note, Pete, how prescient that we have somebody saying, but there is a there's innocence here. And law enforcement is saying, well, we have to verify and investigate then we can declare innocence. Um, I just kind of saw, saw shades of some stuff in the news, but I digress. I want to focus instead, Pete, on the NYPD extras. There was one guy that when Misty said, Luke Cage is innocent of everything, he looked up and around like at the at the rooftops like, what? This world? <laughs> this is... This, what is this world outside what the camera can capture? This is madness. It was great. Pete, just as Diamondback and Zip are getting that car, they see Shades in cuffs. But Pete, that's not all they see. He drops his his namesake, Matt, and there's Claire Temple to ground them into the pavement. <sighs> to dust. Uh, out so comes... his name is now Dust. <laughs> his name is now Eyeball Face. Um, out comes Luke finally in cuffs. Um he sees Claire, whispers for her to go. She grabs her, ho- her coat. Pete maybe grabs her heart and walks off. And the camera closes on Luke looking up at him. The hero is arrested, but he is triumphant. Pete, now we're going to talk about some bad... M- Shut your mouth. We're just talking about bad guys, Pete. Let's start with Zip. Zip, who let me down in this episode, even though I know he's a bad guy. He had the possibility of a redemptive moment. He did not go with it, and there winds up with the with the gun drawn on him towards the end of the episode. But somebody we've seen in in quite a few of these episodes, you know, stealing the the ring from uh the 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 one woman's father and and you know pretty much being a a grunt for cottonmouth and and diamondback but a grunt with upward ambitions here he's worked his way up under the cottonmouth regime upped his style with the shades regime regime now he's uh diamondback's number two guy how about sugar matt there's just something i like about this guy and i i buy that he's a mid-level thug. I also just imagine that he's he's just a really nice guy who's been making some poor decisions. And uh, that said, I mean, Pete, you can see his sympathy. He's letting this this woman who's suffering a diabetic shock allegedly get some help from her friend allegedly, who's going to go get the the insulin allegedly. Pete, he's just running with the wrong crew. He's not a bright guy. He's a caring guy. He's just surrounded himself with thugs. He's the weak link. Yeah, he's he's the victim of some poor choices. And I, I think that creates, you know, in terms of the writing, some compelling 
characters that they're all not just, uh, you know, the, the simplistic good or bad. Next up, we have shades, shades and irons at the end of the episode, Pete. I, uh, I have no idea where things will be headed with them. And I pointed it out before that, you know, so cautious throughout the run of this series. He's the one that talks Mariah through perpetrating the cover up over her murder of her cousin. He's the one here who has the audacity to use uh, Willis Stryker's name in front of other people to lecture him about how they should proceed to even uh, threaten him in terms of, you know, who backs him that we're unaware of at this point in the series and in the larger story. And he's the fall guy come the end of the episode, other than, of course, Luke, who still stands to be cleared of quite a few uh, allegations. Last on the list is Diamondback, who finds himself slithering out the side at the end. This is, for all intents and purposes, his origin story. He tells it to Boone, which which makes sense in retrospect, having caught uh, us up, having caught Boone up. We knew the the story previously about the the father and the, his mother, the mistress and everything there, the, the birth of the miracle baby, but all the motivation having been created. And of course the, the person who has heard the story now, Matt, that, that we are meant to hear no longer drawing breath to be able to uh, further implicate Diamondback. Well, Pete Diamondback has his crew. We have our crew of uh, decidedly nicer nature. Those are the patrons on patreon.com slash fantastic geeks. I want to give a thank you to them for continuing to make the fantastic geek puff family of podcasts go. Especially uh, Mary Kirk for donating at the level that she does. I will take our crew, Matt over diamondbacks any day of the week. The big picture where we break down theories about the road ahead. Pete, why don't you start us with Judas 2.0? So there's been a lot of discussion over taking the larger uh, Judas metal and being able to put that into smaller rounds to be able to shoot them uh, more often and uh, maximize the damage, particularly against somebody with bulletproof skin like Luke Cage. But the, the Punisher, the Frank Castle, is evoked in this episode, Matt, and, and we now uh, know for certain that uh, he will indeed have his own Netflix show in 2017. Seems like only a matter of time until he's squeezing the trigger with some of these in the chamber. Maybe, maybe. Uh, as with many things, if you make Frank Castle too powerful or if you make Superman too powerful or whatever it might be, then story-wise you end up with some challenges. Uh, could he come across such bullets and have to wonder whether they're the right thing to use or th that be a discussion that, that makes its way to the Punisher series? It seems like a foregone conclusion, certainly. Pete, but let me ask you this notion maybe that Shades has another boss beyond Diamondback. Um, I especially like that because I like the actor and I know that we're headed for more 
Marvel Netflix stories in the future. So uh, do we get in the next couple episodes or in the next series or so, uh, do we get more shades now working for uh, for a new guy? Or gal, Matt? Ooh, or Or gal. Wow. Theo Rossi and Sigourney Weaver, that would be quite a a lieutenant and boss pairing. Word on the street where we hear from you, the listener, and Pete, this little conversation, not from somebody who necessarily listens to our podcast, but from a, a, a fictional podcast listener, shall we say. Uh, the at Jessica Jones Twitter account is fantastic, in part because in addition to just doing kind of normal promotional stuff, um, if somebody tweets like, just watch Jessica Jones, boy, she's a bee, uh, the Twitter account will respond in character and be like, well, you're a moron or something like that. Like, there's a Even wonderful... more acerbic than that, usually, Matt. Yeah. So I had tweeted last night, Saturday night, because we're recording this a day ahead. Sorry to ruin the ruin the the, the illusion. Uh, I had tweeted, uh, so uh, or, so with so many people dressing up as you, this because I'm saying it at Jessica Jones. What will you be for Halloween? And the quote uh, quoted tweet and reply was merely drunk question mark. Um, which, you know, quick answer, funny, in line with the character, kind of, you know, somewhat fatalistic. Then, Pete, I had, because because at Jessica Jones follows Fantastic Geek, I then sent a follow-up direct message um, saying, I know I've tweeted it publicly. This was at, this was at 11 o'clock last night. I tweeted, I know, I've tw- uh, I know I've tweeted it publicly, but whoever you are, your JJ social media game is pitch perfect. And this from a guy who podcasted every Jessica Jones episodes and considers her the greatest Marvel TV character, you rock, than beer clinky emoji. Pete, six minutes later, I got a response. Do you know what it was? It was a uh, martini glass emoji. Yes. So there is somebody out there running that account, keeping things completely in character to the point that it would... Look, I know clearly it's not really Jessica Jones because she's a fictional character. It's, it's not? It's, I don't think so, Pete. But the fact that there's somebody out there who is willing enough to stay in character in a direct message as opposed to say, thanks so much. It doesn't even need to be like, thanks, I'm an intern. I am 22 and interning at Marvel this semester. Like, uh, you know, it could have been, oh, thanks so much. We work really hard here or or, or whatever. To just keep it in character, that was a great bit of info great bit of uh, words from the street there pete and that the luke cage show is that much more rich because of the background provided through his first appearance in a number of episodes in jessica jones a year ago now matt uh in in november of 2015 when that drops and, uh, you know, whether you've watched that and you're into Luke Cage now or whether you've gotten into Luke Cage and, you know, with two episodes of our podcast left for what we hope and assume is just the first season of of Luke Cage's show, 
go back and uh, watch yourself. That Jessica Jones first season, a second season is coming. They're preparing to shoot almost any day now. And uh, go back and listen to the Jessica Jones podcast by Fantastic Geek. And of course, Pete, adding to the richness of all is, uh, frankly, being in touch with you on Twitter. How can people do so? You can find me on Twitter at Peter, P-I-E-T-E-R-J-K-E-T-E-L-A-A-R, 8,544 followers. Can't be wrong. I'm no Jessica Jones, Matt, but uh, I will respond to a DM at uh, 11 at night. <laughs> I am personally on Twitter as Looking Back Lost, but you can be in touch with the podcast in a whole host of ways where we are Fantastic Geek. That is fantastic with the P and the H. You can find us under that name on the dot com, fantasticgeek.com. That is the Twitter, Fantastic Geek, the Instagram, Fantastic Geek, and via email, fantasticgeek at gmail.com. With that, Pete, is there any other way people can be in touch? Maybe, Matt, the most interactive way of all, the Facebook, uh, when you are not in an argument with somebody about politics, why not uh, talk with us about the fictional politics of the Marvel Cinematic Universe, Ellis, Obama, El Obama, O. Ellis, whatever, whoever you, you ship, whoever you fictionally vote for, when you like us on fantastic geek on uh facebook you'll be plugged in to all of it and again open up the possibility of 11 o'clock at night conversations <laughs> if you are listening to us on the pop culture podcast feed we'll be back on wednesday with agents of shield and then friday as we start to enter this final home stretch of luke cage pete is my calendar right one week from today we drop episode 113 and conclude new episodes of luke cage for the time being crying emoji wow well with that i will say adios emoji to all our listeners and give you pete the final word bye felicia bye.